Welcome to episode 31 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. I think most of our listeners know what we're going to talk about this episode, so I'm going to toss it over to John right away. John, what's happening? We got vaccine passports in Alberta. Big blow to liberty. Alberta has, for many decades, had the reputation as the freest province in Canada. In the last year and a half since lockdowns were imposed, we've had a reputation um, often often accurate, but not always, but we've had the reputation of being less locked down than other provinces. I think it was often true, but with some aberrations. I mean, we're the only province that put pastors in jail, whereas, say, British Columbia and Ontario would, you know, prosecute these pastors and find them, but at least the pastor would still have an opportunity to, to go to court and to challenge the unscientific uh, lockdown measures, whereas in Alberta, uh, because of the actions of the Kenny government, we actually ended up jailing three different pastors. And this was go to jail, go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not get your day in court, do not get to challenge the, the lockdown measures. Uh, there has also been periods of time where the regulations in British Columbia have been more uh, more relaxed than in Alberta at various times. But what about them ignoring a judge? Uh, Alberta Health Services did that as well. That was pretty severe as far as I'm concerned. That was pretty. And no, no consequences. No consequences yet. Uh, okay. No consequences yet. But uh, that was brazen as well that the uh, Alberta Health Services went to court to get an injunction against Whistle Stop Cafe and uh, ended up with a broadly worded order that applied to every member of the public, which is completely contrary to the law of injunctions. You can ask any lawyer that that knows the topic that injunctions are supposed to be narrow and limited only to specific individual or a narrow identifiable group of individuals. So if you've got, you know, anti-logging protesters that are preventing logging operations from taking place, you could get an injunction. What the injunction does is it means that the police can immediately arrest you for being in contempt of court rather than kind of a regular arrest where you get a trial and you have the opportunity to challenge the constitutionality of the law, right? When you're in violation of an injunction, you're disobeying a court order. So that whole defense is not available to you to challenge the constitutionality of the law. So we had that in Alberta as well. But having said that, we have, uh, I think, our, the the violations of our charter rights and freedoms in Alberta have been uh, generally less severe than in Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, uh, for sure, and and Atlantic Canada. You know, yeah. and even amongst the four western provinces or, or the three westernmost provinces of BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan. So uh, can I just interject here, uh, just to update everybody, there was evidence filed in the Alberta court case. It hasn't been adjudicated yet, but we have the we have the evidence that the Alberta government filed. I'm going through it, and I'll probably present it to you next week. I've only gone through a bit of it at this point. Anyways, please continue. So, so this is quite a – it's a slap in the face to voters because Premier Kenny has been – 
unequivocal and adamant that there will not be vaccine passports in Alberta. And he was unequivocal and adamant about this, even into the first week of September, the second week of September. And then suddenly on Wednesday, September the 15th, we get this news conference at 6 p.m. and the premier announces, it's the usual fear-mongering, and I'll get into some of those details in a second, uh, but the usual fear-mongering about overcrowded hospitals and large numbers of people dying. And so and so we need to... Um, uh, vaccine passports are kicking in in Alberta on Monday the 20th. So, so everybody's phone went off. Bzzz, emergency alert. Yeah, right. that was another pretty pathetic thing that we have to... Yeah. We are slaves of the healthcare system. So many years ago, a friend of mine commented on George Orwell's book, 1984, which is, a, for those who haven't read it, it's about a very dystopian, totalitarian state with cameras everywhere, uh, including cameras in everybody's home. So you got the government is in your living room. And Winston Smith, the central character, is doing push-ups or sit-ups or whatever mandatory exercises that the government's requiring everybody to do. And the government person looking at him on the camera speaks to Winston Smith and says, you're not trying hard enough. You got to, you got to do your push-ups better or words to that effect. And my, my friend said that, that uh, state control of, of healthcare leads to tyranny because the government can say, well, you need to lose all your rights and freedoms to save the healthcare system because we've, we've got this healthcare system. And this is what we've been hearing for the last year and a half is, Oh, we, we have to give up all of our rights and freedoms and along with it, our economic prosperity or our mental health. <laughs> we have to give up everything to so we don't have overcrowded hospitals. And and now it's the same rhetoric. Well, everybody has to get vaccinated because we don't want overcrowded hospitals. And so uh, government control over healthcare uh, is obviously it, it's dangerous because my friend is correct. It is the excuse to take away our rights and freedoms. Right. Oh, yeah. Now, that's not to say that we cannot have some government funding of healthcare. I'm not saying that, you know, in and of itself, that's not necessarily a problem. Uh, but on the overcrowded hospitals, I'm going to tackle this right now. The okay. media were fear mongering that there were, you know, uh, 291. I don't have the number in front of me, but there are 291 uh, COVID patients in the intensive care units in ICU. Well, the Alberta government announced a year and a half ago that they could. Uh, increase ICU capacity to over 1,000 spaces. So why haven't they done that? They've had a year and a half. And don't tell me that that would have been too expensive because it would have been a fraction of the cost of destroying our economy, costing our economy hundreds of billions of dollars and incurring tens of billions of dollars in new debt. So having built an extra for the Alberta government to have expanded our ICU capacity would have been a small fraction of the cost of crippling our economy and imposing tens of billions of dollars of debt on our children and grandchildren. So it's been a year sure. and a half. So there's no excuse. This is ridiculous to hear that we have to have uh, segregation uh, based on uh, based on vaccine status, and we have to have violation of privacy. And you and I and everybody else, we have to publicly disclose our vaccine status, uh, you know, in uh, in the same way that Jews in Germany had to have the yellow star with the word Jude 
or Jew written on it so they could be publicly identified. So now we've got vaccine passports, so there's a public identification. This is segregation. This is what we had in South Africa uh, for many decades for the apartheid policy that was uh, created shortly after the Second World War and was in place until the early 1990s. And so it was uh, whites, non-whites, segregation. And this is like the segregation in the United States, where uh, in the southern states, after the abolition of slavery in, in 1864, you still had for many, many decades this this uh, system where you had colored washrooms, uh, colored drinking fountains, and white washrooms and white drinking fountains. And you had this segregation. Can I make two observations here? Yeah. <clears throat> First one is that... Did you notice that the way this whole thing built up in the media with the Alberta situation, it was almost identical to the Manitoba situation back when they had to go to court, just before they had to go to court, till finally they ended up with the media story saying, well, we're going to have to ship patients out of the province. That's exactly where we are right now. And I mean, it almost followed the exact same trajectory. And it's funny that this happened right before an election. I don't know whether that has anything to do with it, but other people have raised that sort of coinkydink. I don't know if the election has much to do with it. I mean, it's possible. Uh, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau has promised the uh, provinces that they would get lots of free federal money uh, if they institute vaccine passports. So I, I don't I don't really know if to what extent that has motivated. You know, we've seen Ontario and Manitoba may have announced their vaccine passport policies. Uh, certainly Manitoba was months ago, was before they were promised uh, federal funding for that. Sure. So, no, but it happened just before they had to present evidence. Also, the reason I should, to emphasize the point about the election, the reason I, I politicized it like that is because they completely politicized the question. Everybody was calling for Jason Kenney's resignation. That was in the papers. That went national, right? And they were saying, oh, is Jason Kenney's mishandling of the pandemic going to become an issue in the election? Things like that. Nobody was calling for perhaps the resignation of the public health officials. If this indeed was a screw-up, why weren't they calling for the resignation of the people that screwed up? Anyways, just an observation. It's a, it's a bad situation where you don't have clear accountability. Yeah. Uh, because there's this back and forth. And I know from people that have called their their member, their their MLA, their member of the Legislative Assembly, or in Ontario, they've called their MPP, member of provincial parliament. And these people will say, well, it's not our fault. We're just following the advice of the of the chief medical officer. Yeah. Uh, in Manitoba as well, we've heard from a lot of people. They phone their MLA and their MLA says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm against lockdowns as well. But, you know, we have to follow the expert advice of the chief medical officer. But then when the chief medical officer, they're always saying that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only giving advice. It's really up to the premier to accept the advice or not. My own the, view is the Mexican standoff thing, where everybody's pointing a gun at you. Yeah, <laughs> but it it leads to it leads to a very irresponsible, childish, dysfunctional, and non democratic system. Mm. And uh, in, in my view, the buck the buck stops with the premier. The premier is not obligated by the legislation to uh, abide by every word that one medical doctor comes out with. 
Well, this is an argument we've been having, I think, since the beginning of the pandemic, you and I, you know, who is more responsible? But I simply want to point that out. They, they politicize this question, that is the media and the medical establishment as well. They politicized it just before an election. And that's what makes me wonder why they weren't calling for. And Dina Hinshaw, yeah, didn't she release some kind of tearful video saying, oh, we made a big mistake. We didn't, we shouldn't have opened up at the beginning of summer and things like this. So, well, that, you know, you know they- if you screw up, you, you should get fired. Well, the people running the medical system, I mean, holy cow, we've had, we've been talking about a second wave and, and subsequent waves for the past year and a half. When, when this, when the virus, uh, you know, when we had lockdowns in March of 2020, I remember vividly at that time, they were already talking about a second wave and why in a year and, and six months, in, in 18 months, why have we not increased capacity? And the same question can be asked of the politicians in, in British Columbia, Manitoba, Ontario. Why <clears throat> cripple the economy? Why inflict all this harm on people through lockdowns by destroying their mental health, pushing people into loneliness and isolation and depression, driving people to suicide? destroying life savings, destroying businesses, just killing killing every imaginable <clears throat> avenue of joy, you know, like, like watching your kids at, at, at a school play or going with friends to watch a live sporting event or enjoying the company of friends at a, at a restaurant or pub or singing in church or whatever. Every type of joy has been destroyed and yet they have not improved the capacity of the medical system. Now, they could have, you know, in in days gone by, they they might have been able to make the argument, well, we can't afford it, it's too expensive. I don't think that's a very strong argument for a number of reasons. But even if that was a strong argument previously, that, well, we can't afford to, you know, double or triple the number of, of ICU spaces, uh, we can't afford to you know, increase by a fifth the number of hospital beds in our province. We can't afford it. That is not an argument now after 18 months of of the most wild, reckless and insane spending that we have ever seen in Canada with with literally hundreds of billions of dollars. We only have 38 million people. Okay, this is not the United States. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have, you know, what's, what's the American population now? 400 million Yeah, close to 400. I keep, I keep hearing yeah. 380, but... Yeah, so no, we're no. we're still at about ten percent. We're at we're at thirty eight million. Yeah, it's almost roughly. And and so we've got hundreds of billions of dollars of new debt, and we've got uh, I don't know how many billions of economic destruction, lost prosperity, lost wages. Right. So it's separate and apart from the debt that we're going to impose on our children and grandchildren, we've also got huge hundreds of billions of dollars of of destroyed economic activity, destroyed wealth. So to have increased our hospital capacity and increased ICU capacity in the last year and a half would have cost a small fraction of that. So nobody can say with a straight face that we could not have afforded to create the ICU spaces. And Jason, well, Kenney, maybe we spent all the money on the vaccine. Uh, and to quote, uh, I don't know. Has anybody given me given you any numbers on how much that cost? No. I Why don't you do some be... research on that and present us with I the numbers I next will. week? I think how I much, will. How much are the vaccines costing us? Because nothing, well, I mean, there ain't the, no such uh, thing as a free lunch. I mean, they're not free. It's taxpayers that are paying for the vaccine, which amounts to, 
uh, a de facto subsidy of the pharmaceutical corporations. I so think I'll look into it because as Nicki Minaj tweeted out, what is Pfizer's stock at now? And blew up the internet with that one. <laughs> they got taken down immediately. That's well, another story. We're not going to go down that We're not going to go into what the Pfizer stock is worth now, but or what Nikki if Minaj you're, did. If you're against <laughs> if you're against corporate welfare, uh, you know, this is an issue yeah. to to be concerned about. So back to the back to the vaccine passport in Alberta. So Jason Kenney announced very suddenly on Wednesday, September 15th that and the media, of course, have been beating the drum for uh, for a good two weeks prior to that, talking about how awful he was, and mentioning. I think we covered this last week. You know that there had been there had been eight deaths in Alberta, and then you know conveniently failing to mention that there's five hundred people, over five hundred people, die in Alberta every week because we're a province of four point four million, right? But so highlight the eight COVID deaths. All of them, people in their 70s and 80s. So we still have the, we don't have a big impact on life expectancy, right? These these COVID deaths are people that would have very soon died of something else. The and average age of the deaths is still 80. It's still right? 80 for the average yeah. age of, of, of death. Yeah. So the media is beating the drum. The other media distortion example is the uh, the media loves to say that, that Alberta's had uh, 2,495 COVID deaths, or let's say 2,500 COVID deaths. And uh, of course, that's that's significant. And it's sad when anybody dies. Uh, it's sad when old people die. Uh, you and I both, and many of our listeners, most of our listeners have, have grieved the, the loss of people that die at an old age. So, you know, we're not taking away from the sadness of it, but it is a reality as part of life. What's interesting, the media say, okay, 2,500 COVID deaths in Alberta. Yeah, that's in the past year and a half. And they don't mention that in that same year and a half period, there's 40,000 people that died in Alberta. Mm -hmm. 40,000 yeah. people have died in the last year and a half. So 2,500 of the 40,000 have died with covid so it's it's still it it's it's fear mongering and it's pushing a false narrative. So Jason's whining about he bought into the media hysteria. Oh yeah, we've got a problem because we've got you know three hundred patients in intensive care units and that's filling up our ICU. I'm thinking, well, isn't it supposed to be used? I mean, is is this a sin to to use the system? Isn't that what it's there for? But I, I guess apparently not. Um, but mm -hmm. his government announced a year and a half ago that, that they could and would increase ICU capacity to over a thousand spaces. So if that had been done and he's had a, a year and six months to do it, uh, and he's whined about how, oh, well, it's not just buying the equipment for an ICU space, but you have to train the staff to which I say, okay, so you've had a year and a half. How long does it take to train existing registered nurses and <clears throat> train them into a, a ICU specialization? Uh, does that take more than a year and a half? I, I mean, it's it's just inexcusable. And then the That's hospital also the, beds. The, yeah, the, the media the are beating the drums on. You know, we had. I don't have the number in front of me. We had we had you know eight hundred uh, COVID patients or something in the uh, eight hundred COVID patients in in hospital beds. Okay, and we have eight and a half thousand hospital beds in Alberta. So it's you know. COVID patients are using up 10% of the hospital beds. 
And, and if there's not enough hospital beds, we've had 18 months to increase that number. Why have we not done so? I suggest that needs to be looked at as well because we've seen anecdotal, well, not even it was st- studies out of other areas that suggest that the people that are hospitalized with COVID didn't go into the hospital with COVID. They went in for other reasons, like that story that appeared in the Atlantic on September 14th that said nearly half of COVID hospitalizations this year have been milder asymptomatic cases. They've been, they went into hospital for something else. They got diagnosed probably with a PCR test. I haven't confirmed that, but you know, and then all of a sudden they're in the hospital being treated for something else, but they're called a COVID. That that would be an anomaly by itself, I suppose, except that a story appeared in the Daily Mail about, uh, this was on September 17th, and this is the headline there. A quarter of COVID patients in England are primarily being treated for a different illness or injury, official data shows. Okay, so you got 25% there. So I would suggest that this could be happening here, but nobody really is talking about it. So we might have an over-representation of COVID patients in the hospital system. So well, everybody gets tested for COVID. So you could have some guy that got into a you know, car accident or maybe a, a ski accident or you know, broken bone or something and uh, comes into eMERGE and, uh, and they do a COVID test. And then on a PCR test, which has incredibly high uh, false positive rates. Uh, at 40 cycles. Yeah. At, at 40 cycles. Even anything over 30 cycles, it's going to produce a high false positives. So you're going to get a guy that maybe broke his leg, comes into the hospital, gets the unreliable, meaningless results, PCR tests, is test positive for COVID, has no COVID symptoms, but gets added to the numbers chart. And, oh, this is one of our COVID patients in hospital. Well, oh, you know, no, he's got he's got a broken leg. And it's the same thing with the way the deaths are, are tabulated. If you die of whatever but they and they uh they they do a test on you while you're you're covid death. Well, this also goes to the the question of their uh you know this epidemic of the unvaccinated uh, that they are claiming as well, you know, this is something that has been disproven in other areas where they had really high vaccination rates like in uh Israel and Ireland. You know, and yet you don't hear about that. Do you think in Iceland or Ireland or both? I thought it was Ireland. I've heard Iceland as well. So Iceland has a high vaccination rate, and yeah. the, uh, the, the this vaccine is useless against the Delta variant. Uh, I'll get into that in a minute because I'm yeah, going to get into that. Yeah, I think it's called that. leaky or something like. That. So Jason, so Jason Kenny has capitulated to the media fear mongering and the false narrative, and so he you know goes on and he repeats the media speaking points, and he says. We've got a problem with large numbers of people in our intensive care units, you know, completely ignoring the fact that he's had 18 months to increase ICU capacity. No, no, no. Let's, let's pretend that that's just not possible. So now, oh, you know, ICU space is threatening to be overrun and, uh, you know, X amount. And, and so we've got this crisis with our hospitals. So we have to, we have to degrade and dehumanize people by bringing in vaccine segregation and having second class citizenship. So now Alberta is joining uh, Ontario, Quebec, Manitoba, and British Columbia. And uh, as of September 20th, you are a second-class citizen in Alberta. You cannot go into uh, restaurants, stores, movie theaters, what have you, uh, unless you divulge personal, private, confidential medical information and talk about your vaccine status and show your vaccine passport. Without that, you will be a second-class citizen. You can't even have people in your home, they say. And it's illegal for, yeah, the unvaccinated 
uh, that's got to be vile, constitutional. Vile it? scum that they are. The unvaccinated cannot mix and mingle. I, I suppose the unvaccinated can mix and mingle in public if they are. Uh, the Alberta government has magnanimously allowed up to 200 people at an outdoor event, provided that they are spaced six feet apart. But I here's think the a unvaccinated have to scream unclean, unclean, unclean. unclean yeah. The untomensch okay. that uh, that the unvaccinated are. Here's an interesting thing, though. The, the government also said that vaccinated people are not allowed to mix and mingle in numbers larger than ten, excluding children. So, and, and from one household. Okay. So, if let's say you know you, uh, well, people people from people from two households can mingle together, uh, not three or four households apparently. And they can, okay, so you are admitting that the unvaccinated are spreaders of the virus. Because if the, if the vaccinated people are not spreading the virus, why would there be any restrictions on, why, why, why can the vaccinated people not have, you know, 100 people come to their house for, uh, for a big birthday party? Mm, yeah, well, I don't know. You got to have some good news somewhere here, John, don't you? Somewhere? There's fantastic anything? pushback. Are you guys doing anything? Yes, we're going to sue Alberta okay. Health Services. That's one thing. I stumbled mm-hmm. across a website from um, Health Professionals United uh, standing together against mandatory vaccines. And this is from Anonymous, and I don't blame them for being anonymous, but this is for um, uh, this is an open letter to Alberta Health Services to Dr. Verna Yu. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it says, this is in response to your announcement of mandatory full vaccination for all Alberta Health Services staff by October 31st, 2021. We represent a wide range of vaccinated and unvaccinated healthcare professionals for multiple disciplines who are deeply concerned about these mandatory vaccinations. There are many reasons why we stand against them and highlight some below. So, just mention a few. The mRNA vaccines have not been proven to prevent disease uptake nor disease transmission. And this has been, I'm not going to go through all the references, but this is even the biased pro-lockdown, pro-mandatory vaccine media. You can find the public statements by the Center for Disease Control officials. And there's all these statements by medical officials that this vaccine is not stopping transmission. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a key point because I think if you wanted to really justify, if you want to demonize the unvaccinated as dangerous spreaders, it'd be good if you had a factual basis for that. And, you know, the vaccinated were not spreaders and the unvaccinated were spreaders, but mm-hmm. that's simply not there. Next point in this letter to the head of uh, Alberta Health Services, uh, overall survival rate from COVID, 99.77%. We know that this is not the bubonic plague. It's not the Spanish flu of 1918. Uh, this is in league with the bad annual flu and does not warrant all of these very destructive measures. Next point, vaccine is showing weakened efficacy after only a few months. Uh, even here in Alberta, 18% of hospitalizations are fully vaccinated and that percentage is going up and up and up. So it'll start to match data from other places eventually, like Israel yeah. and Iceland and Ireland. Yeah, you know, so. Israeli hospitals yeah. are, are are full of vaccinated 
people, you know, as well as unvaccinated. But that, that's that's a small minority, and they're talking about the fourth shot. Which, by the way, if you think that a pa- if you think a vaccine passport is going to be limited to two, you're wrong. In Israel, they've already announced that your passport is not valid unless you've had your third shot. And of course, that's going to be, I predict, and I hope I'm wrong, same thing in Canada. Uh, a year from now, it'll be, well, have you had your seventh shot? Well, if not, then your passport's not valid and you can't go to the gym. You can't go to the swimming pool. You can't take your kids to uh, to the museum. You can't take your kids to the zoo. I mean, I've, I, I'm told the Calgary Zoo is wanting vaccine passports, even though the whole... Uh, sorry, most of the, much of it is is outdoors. There's some indoor exhibits as well. But anyway, you and can't we'll even all take your kids tweeting. To the, what is Pfizer's stock at now? Yeah, what is Pfizer's stock at now? Next point in the healthcare workers' letter: natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity. Uh, that too has been backed up. That even biased pro-lockdown media, uh, you can easily find the the sources to that. Now, I want to address briefly this thing about the unvaccinated because the the media are reporting gleefully with with great joy that unvaccinated patients are flooding the hospital. Now, I'm going to be sending in the days ahead, I'm going to be sending a letter to Dr. Verna, you or or uh, Health Minister Tyler Shandor or both about this this data of the unvaccinated. How exactly do they calculate the unvaccinated? Does that include people that got sick right after getting the vaccine? Are they in the hospital? Are they being counted as as uh, unvaccinated? So what is the methodology? And is it also a question of whether they have COVID symptoms or not, right? So if you have somebody in the hospital that is there for because they got some broken bones because of a car accident and, you know, are they're not in there for any COVID symptoms, are they counted as amongst the unvaccinated, even if you're in the hospital uh, because of a broken bone because of a car accident and you have no COVID symptoms? So I've, I've got some pointed questions about this data. And of course, after 18 months of the government's lying to us about all kinds of things, uh, I have a right to be skeptical. But let's take it at face value for a moment. And let's just assume that that indeed, the unvaccinated are, are overrepresented in hospitals. I would ask the question, are we going to uh, crack down on the obese and people who smoke and people who don't exercise enough and people who do not eat healthy foods. Are we going to start uh, punishing people for uh, f- for what are deemed to be bad medical choices? Yes or no? And then at lifestyle that point... Lifestyle choices. Lifestyle choices. Yeah. Uh, so at this point in time, you, you often find a lot of people, they immediately, they back down and say, well, no, 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 we, you know, we're, we have to be a non-judgmental society and we can't, uh, we can't say, well, we're going to, we're going to force you to pay for your own uh, treatment because you acquired a sexually transmit- transmitted uh, disease, but because you chose to be sexually promiscuous as part of your lifestyle, or you sustained uh, an injury in downhill skiing, you broke a bone, whereas you didn't need to go downhill skiing, you could have stayed in your basement and just worked out on your treadmill and done some, you know, yoga videos and some aerobics videos, and you could have exercised safely in your own home. Yet you chose to go skiing, you broke the bone. So because of that lifestyle choice, 
we're going to punish you. You got to pay extra or because you smoke or because uh, you don't exercise or because you don't eat the right diet or you, yeah, your cholesterol is too high, whatever. Are we going to have a judgmental? Darwinian. Hmm. Yeah. Are we going to have, are we going to have that kind of a, a system? Yes or no? Because you cannot, you absolutely cannot uh, start demonizing and vilifying and publicly attacking the unvaccinated if you're not also going to start to publicly vilify and attack the smokers and the non-exercisers and the people that drink too much alcohol and et cetera, et cetera. Are you suggesting a slippery slope argument? Heavens, it's not like slippery slope arguments ever come true. I'm just asking. That's uh, sarcasm. I'm, I'm (laughs) I'm just asking for some intellectual honesty and some intellectual consistency. So for, for people for people that want to start demonizing the uh, uh, the unvaccinated and and vilifying them and attacking them are for because they are the argument is that they are unnecessarily taking up hospital space that they don't deserve to take up because if they would just smarten up and get vaccinated they wouldn't have that severity of of symptoms. So if that's true, see, and this is there you get the media bias again. The, the media will gladly, gleefully, cheerfully Toronto star a few weeks back, just re- printing vile hatred towards the unvaccinated. And you have the media beating the drum, promoting this message that unvaccinated people are, are bad and they should be ashamed of themselves. And they are uh, taking up space in hospital that they don't deserve to take up. Well, when have these same media ever vilified and denounced obese people or uh, or alcoholics or smokers or non-exercisers or people making dangerous risky lifestyle choices of various kinds and saying well they don't deserve to be in the hospital well they made that argument in the 80s i think thank you in regards to smokers well, at some point, I mean, smokers, and then there's the obese. I have to talk then, to you about the smoker thing, it, just briefly. This is okay. off topic, but this is okay. fascinating. When I was with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, I wrote a letter to then Health Minister Gary Marr, and I asked him, does the Alberta government have any evidence that smokers cost the healthcare system more than non-smokers? It's a good uh-huh. question. Okay. And I eventually got a, a, an answer back. That said, no, we do not have any evidence to suggest that point. Hmm. So okay. that, that's just an interesting aside that the smokers. Uh, uh, I, I've. I, this is totally off topic, but uh, don't, we'll don't be so sure that smokers are costing the healthcare system more than non-smokers, because a lot of smokers will just drop dead of a heart attack and die very quickly uh, when they're young, whereas the non-smokers might live to be in their eighties and nineties and be on um you know four or five different medications and might cost the healthcare system a whole lot of money by living to a very old age so it's not I'm, it's not that clear cut i'm just going to put in something else that's sort of on that topic and still off topic but somewhat on topic and that is i saw a meme uh, the other day which was a picture of a discarded used surgical mask lying on wet pavement with the caption the new cigarette butt. It's <laughs> pretty good. And what Anyways. are the environmentalists going to say when there's mounting evidence that all these the rubber gloves? I mean, how many rubber gloves are going to choke up our oceans? 
if the masks are, the masks are starting to do that now. and, and the masks, collecting them on beaches and things like that so. uh, you know i was i'm generally blessed with good health and i'm not i'm not in a doctor's office uh, often but the the last few times in in the last 18 months the the amount of rubber glove use is just astronomical it's just yeah put it on for 10 seconds toss it out put it on toss it out oh yeah it's off the charts definitely uh anyways the pushback though gets harder right so we got kenny's so we got kenny's vaccine passports in alberta representing a a huge 180 degree turn from from what he said uh for a very long time he has said alberta will not have vaccine passports not in alberta and he was saying it uh, as recently as a week prior to the September 15th. Now his shtick is that we will not have forced vaccinations, like forced vaccinations, mm. like beyond a vaccine passport where you don't get held down to the ground by four guys and one of them injects you, right? But actual forced vaccinations where they inject the vaccine into your body against your will while holding you down. The premier has committed to not having that in Alberta. And my question is, why should anybody believe him? I'm sure in a year or two, I don't think he'll be in power much longer after two years. But uh, Mm -hmm. why believe him? Why why would we not have governments actually physically holding us down and forcibly injecting a substance into our body? Why not? Well, if the uh, if the unvaccinated, if they continue to be, here's the thing, Kevin, if they continue to be demonized and vilified the way that uh, both Prime Minister Trudeau and Premier Jason Kenney and the media uh, and other politicians across Canada have publicly vilified the the unvaccinated, if that continues, you very quickly get to a point where public opinion is okay with the unvaccinated being forcibly uh, held down and injected with with a substance that they don't want to be injected with right uh, the vaccine passports are also going to make it very easy to identify the unvaccinated uh, mm-hmm. because uh, I think governments will very quickly have a very big database of who's been uh, like Santa's list who's been naughty and who's been nice he's making a list he's checking it twice uh, oh yeah I think that's uh, that's on it well that's already here I'm pretty sure. It's called your healthcare records, and I'm sure they have access to them. And I'm sure a lot of people that shouldn't have have access to them as well already. But that's another story. Anyways, uh, other pushback you have? Any? Yes. Okay. Dr. Eric Payne, that's a P-A-Y-N-E. Dr. Eric Payne at the Alberta Children's Hospital. He is a pediatric neurologist specializing in epilepsy and neurocritical care at Alberta Children's Hospital. He has a Master of Public Health from Harvard University. And uh, before returning to the Alberta Children's Hospital in, uh, in February of 2020, he spent six years on staff at the Mayo Clinic, where he developed expertise in neuroinflammation. Sounds somewhat qualified. Sounds somewhat qualified. Both medical school and pediatric neurology residency were completed in Calgary. He says, uh, he says in his letter, this is written to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, and this has been publicly released. 
He says, I'm also a father of three young children and remain very much pro-vaccine. My wife, children, and I are completely vaccinated, including yearly flu shots. This is not a contradictory stance because he's, he's not going to take the, the uh, mRNA, the vaccines, novel experimental mRNA. He says it's not a contradiction because the current mRNA represents a completely novel and experimental therapy with no long-term data. I don't think there's anybody in the media. I don't think there's any politician who can refute that. I think, you know, the pro-mandatory vaccine, the the anti-freedom side, uh, admits there is no long-term data. And the mRNA is novel. It is not like the other vaccines that we've been using in recent, uh, recent decades. Now, this letter is dated September the 14th, and uh, so that's, this actually came out before, uh, a day before Jason Kenney uh, announced that, that vaccine passports would, would go into effect in Alberta. This is directed at the College of Physicians and Surgeons, which I'm told had been toying with the idea of uh, that the college, as the doctor's regulatory body, would make it mandatory for every doctor to, to get vaccinated. And apparently this was uh, rejected by a vote. So the college, this is not Alberta Health Services, that's different. Alberta Health Services has said every doctor, every nurse, everybody has to get vaccinated. The College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta is the governing body. And to my knowledge, they are not requiring doctors of course, they don't have to because effectively Jason Kenney and Alberta Health Services are doing it. So I guess the college can step well, off to who, the side. Who's in charge here? Like who, who trumps who? You know, does the uh, Alberta Health Services trump the college? Or does the college uh, have final say on this? Who has the expertise? Doesn't seem like Alberta Health Services has much expertise. Well, they're both, they're both independent actors. I okay. mean, the, the college is there to regulate the profession. Uh, now, unfortunately, the college has been very anti-science, uh, and we've done this on a prior podcast looking at the colleges in, in British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario, mm. going out and Nova Scotia, and going after doctors simply for um, questioning uh, science. You know, practicing for, science, I would say, by questioning c- data, questioning the governing narrative, and practicing yeah. science because science is never people, settled. Yeah. Science is about asking questions, uh, asking hard questions. That was a reference so, to the Ibsen play, by the way. So Doctor Payne uh, goes on, and I'm going to get, I'm going to ask for his permission to post this on our website. Uh, I anticipate his permission would be forthcoming because it's a public. He's already released it publicly himself. So okay, so we'll uh, have a link to it. In other words, but hopefully, hopefully, uh, yeah. hopefully, we'll we'll post this to to our website. It's a very good read. It's fourteen pages of of text followed by another another four or five pages of footnotes. There's eighty two. It is eighty four footnotes. Uh, so this is very heavily sourced, very well researched. So Dr. Payne says that forced experimental mRNA vaccine mandates are directly, uh, also directly violate the internationally accepted Nuremberg Code, 
which was developed in 1947 to protect patients from medical experimentation, stating as its first declaration that, quote, the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential, end of quote. And he says, it is because I am informed that I do not voluntarily consent to these injections. And he summarizes, he summarizes his argument, and I'll kind of I'll give you the big picture first. He says, he says to the college, but I think he could be saying this equally, equally to Premier Kenny and to Alberta Health Services, by forcing compliance, you would be stepping on the bedrock principles of medical ethics, especially patient autonomy. The willingness to trample individual legal and moral rights in the name of perceived communal benefits is not justified by the current medical science and will cause predictable and unpredictable harms. The medical evidence demonstrates that, so here's a big picture summary. First of all, effectiveness of the mRNA vaccines has decreased significantly. Right. There's that. Get into the details. Mm -hmm. It's not what it was touted a few months ago. Oh, yeah, you just take this vaccine and you'll just be good the rest of your life. No, the protection wanes, which is why Israel's on to a fourth shot. Anyway. The effectiveness of the mRNA vaccines has decreased significantly. Secondly, the mRNA vaccines do not prevent COVID transmissions or symptomatic disease. Thirdly, it is the vaccinated who are driving the mutations, not the unvaccinated. Fourthly, we get into that, uh, what is antibody uh, dependent enhancement as well. Yes. Yeah. Fourthly, those who have been fully vaccinated generate similar or higher viral loads than the unvaccinated when challenged with the Delta virus. So, yeah, it doesn't work against Delta. And then he says, I will highlight some of the long-term safety concerns with these mRNA vaccines. Is this under point three where the headline is, uh, as the effectiveness of mRNA vaccines to prevent transmission and severe disease continues to diminish, the medical narrative for a forced vaccine mandate evaporated. That's, uh, I like that line. That's why I asked. I simply wanted to read it. Go ahead. You can ignore my question. No, that's that's an excellent point, the way that uh, that he words that. Yeah. So I'm going to just pick little bits and pieces of his uh, of his paper. So his first big point is you cannot eradicate the virus through vaccination, and it's um, got all the evidence to back that up. His second big point, he says that it's the uh, it's the vaccinated who are driving the virus mutations. And by way of analogy, this is like the. Um, when antibiotics are overused, they actually strengthen bacteria and they, that hurts everybody. So if everybody is uh, is using, if people are using antibiotics too frequently and unnecessarily, it's a bad thing. It makes for stronger bacteria that are more deadly. And by way of analogy, uh, he cites all these sources that the vaccinated are driving virus mutations and these might be become even stronger uh, because we're vaccinating in the middle of uh, of a pandemic. Yeah, I found some of that, some of the detail in this pretty interesting. Uh, just as a, an aside, when he talked about the smallpox 
the elimination of smallpox, he said, well, you know, one of the things that it didn't have was a, an animal repository. It didn't have mm. a place to go into the animal population where it could reassert itself, whereas apparently the SARS-CoV-2 does. And uh, I think he spoke of deer at one point. You know, it has a, a repository. It has somewhere to go. So uh, that's what makes it difficult to eliminate with vaccine. So, and at one point he actually says, I think natural immunity is, he cites the sources that we cited, I think last show or previous show, that natural immunity is 13 to 20 times stronger. I think that was an Israeli study. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm and not. that's that too. That, that That's out there. Even yeah. the biased pro-mandatory vaccine media have this this data. It's It's out there if you look for it. So point number three bears repeating, even though you read it, I'm going to read it again because it's okay. it's so crucial. As the effectiveness of mRNA vaccines to prevent transmission and severe disease continues to diminish, the medical narrative for a forced vaccine mandate evaporated. And here he's got the sources uh, from CDC director quoted, uh, Center for Disease Control director quoted July 30th that vaccinated people infected with the Delta can transmit the virus. Another uh, higher up with the Center for Disease Control, Dr. Walensky, stated that our vaccines cannot prevent transmission. And it's got all these other citations there. So, yeah, the vaccine's not stopping the spread of the virus, which that right there is a pretty good argument against forcing everybody to to take it mm. i could see now I, I mean i'm 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 such a libertarian that i would probably still have arguments against mandatory vaccinations even if you know but like here we've got this push that everybody needs to get this and and yet the uh yeah these public admission admissions from health officials that that uh vaccinated people are not stopping the spread yes well you know i mean that says to me that they're not following uh, science. In other words, there's something else other than science going on here, unless we're talking about the science of mathematics and uh, the numbers that can be added to bank accounts. Yeah. Well, the other thing that he points out is just examples of where, and, and this is not paranoia, to notice how public authorities have just completely backtracked from uh, assurances that were previously made that one of them that this is just two weeks to flatten the curve well now it's like mm. well two years to flatten the curve he says do you recall when we were told that AstraZeneca was safe we were oh, told yeah. repeatedly and lots of people got AstraZeneca uh, do you remember when we were told our uh, mRNA vaccines uh, were not going to inflict any harm on anybody and now we've got a lot of myocarditis in young males to the point where even mainstream media are saying that teenagers and I guess young males in general uh, are better off not getting the vaccine because your chance of getting myocarditis is bigger than your chance of dying of COVID or getting sick with COVID, right? Mm. I, I mean, this is the whole falsehood again. I mean, there's so many falsehoods and so many lies here, but w one of the bigger ones is the just the whole idea that under 18, the, the kids ages 12 to 18 should get the vaccine and that, uh, you know, people in their 20s and 30s need to get the vaccine. It's like, no, no, COVID's not a threat to you. Uh, the other thing he points out, we were told before that the lipid nanoparticles, which contain the S protein, 
uh, stay at the injection site. So they're going to stay in your arm. Well, that's also gone out the window. And now they, everybody admits that, no, it goes all over your body. And in particular, they're finding that it goes into the uh, the testes and the ovaries, which could be uh, particularly bad for younger people. It gets into the mRNA harms, uh, possibility of early neurodegenerative disease. So there's risks and dangers there. The vaccine risk-benefit ratio in children, for anybody who's been listening to this podcast, or anybody, even if it's your first time, for anybody looking at the government's data, we know that a child's chance of getting killed by a lightning strike is in the same range as a child's chance of dying of COVID. So uh, children are not uh, at risk. Now, here's something else that uh, the Vaccine Adverse Reporting System, VARS, or VARS, Vaccine Adverse Reporting System, VARS. It's the nation's early warning system that monitors the safety of vaccines after they are authorized or licensed for use by the FDA. Uh, it is a self-reporting system that does not prove causality, but rather is designed to help identify adverse events signals, <clears throat> such as myocarditis resulting from uh, COVID-19. They're looking for vaccines. trends, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. So here's something quite shocking. In eight months, the VARS system has reported 12,791 deaths related to COVID-19 vaccines in eight months. Okay. So 12,791. You can say... 13,000, just to round it up to a simple number. So if you have 13,000 deaths in eight months, compared to 8,966 deaths related to all other vaccines reported on the VARS system over a period of 31 years. So think about that. 13,000 deaths from COVID-19 vaccines in eight months. 13,000 deaths in eight months compared to 9,000 deaths from all other vaccines combined over a period of 31 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just shocking. Just shocking that not only that, that this is still being pr- promoted as an option, but that governments are, are pushing to make this mandatory. It's, it's getting worse. Dr. Fauci and President Biden have expressed their desire to start giving the mRNA shots to children ages 6 months to 11 years. So uh, Dr. Payne responds to that by saying children seem to be their own best defense against COVID uh, because they are poor transmitters and they have exceedingly low risk of death and severe disease. I find it interesting, just anecdotally, that uh, nobody ever cites the Canadian version of the VARS at all. Mm. Uh, Have you ever seen that referenced? I've never seen it. Yet apparently it does exist. I'm looking at the... uh, the Canadian Public Health Services page can't seem to see the data here, but anyways, we do have one. <clears throat> but uh, rather interesting that everybody seems to know that the Americans have one, but uh, nobody references the Canadians. Anyways, just a little passing observation. Okay, he goes through the the Great Barrington Declaration and following the science. Uh, he talks about antibody depressant enhancement which I don't want to get into. We're running out of time, so we'll see if we can cover that more. Uh, Relevant examples of egregious censorship and misinformation. He says, do you recall when 
COVID escaping from a lab in Wuhan was a demonstrably false conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah. And and now, more recently, it's like, oh, well, no, it's uh, that that is a possibility. So there you see the media bias, right? Anybody who... Anybody who suggested a year and a half ago that this could have been coming from a lab in China mm-hmm. was vilified, denounced, ostracized, you know, obviously a, a crank, a kook, a conspiracy theorist. Oops. Oh, no, maybe that was true. Uh, he talks about the Nobel Prize winning French virologist, Professor Luc Montagnier, and how he, uh, he has been censored very heavily since questioning the narrative. Uh, he talks about Dr. Robert Malone, co-inventor of, of the uh, mRNA vaccine technology. Uh, Dr. Malone has himself taken the mRNA vaccines, but cautions about their widespread use during a pandemic, especially amongst the low-risk groups. So uh, censorship there. Uh, and then he talks about uh, how... He is not a risk to his patients and why and how, and he goes through the data right there. Yeah, ultimately, it is, it is a letter to his board. It just It's very interesting. It's full of data, as you pointed out with footnotes, uh, from a guy who has had 18 years of medical training that, uh, you know, studied at Harvard, worked at the Mayo Clinic. All in all, a fairly educated fellow, and uh, yeah, so... I will definitely link to this once it gets up on the website, if it does, and we'll find a way to uh, publicize it. That's great. Okay, so that's a start. We're uh, living in so, so the resistance. Times. The pushback continues. The resistance continues. Yeah. We're, we're in dark times with a vaccine, a, a segregated society with full-on second-class citizens for, for, for the unvaccinated yeah, living through uh, a scientific so, uh, dark second-class citizenship yeah. without without a scientific basis for it. Yeah, and uh, we're going to have to just fight and you know fight back using peaceful means, of course. Yeah, but we have to resist the tyranny, resist evil. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. That's right. We're just going to shine a light on the data. Okay, great. That's great, John. Uh, we won't uh, go too far. Too much farther in uh, this episode. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to speak with us on episode 31 of Justice with John Carpe. We'll talk to you next week. Yes, Kevin. Looking forward to next week. Yeah.